Hey everyone, welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk. It's your host Naraj. Hope you're all doing good. Gonna recap some of the football we saw last night. A doubleheader in the NFL. Bills, Chiefs, Cardinals, Cowboys. And then I'll get into a little bit more about something that uh, I didn't really know about. And I just want to talk about that and go from, go from there. So, with that being said, the Bills and Chiefs both played last night. Both teams that came off a loss the previous week. And which uh, the Chiefs offense uh, struggled at times in the fourth quarter. Didn't have much going on. They were too reliant on Patrick Mahomes. And the Bills just got pushed around by Tennessee. And Josh Allen didn't play well enough in that game. So heading into this game, uh, it's the very first matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, as, as far as I know, and um, it was a good game, back and forth in the first quarter to the second quarter, um, and even to the third quarter. It was still like a you know a one possession, one score game, but you know the Chiefs were able to pull away, make more plays down the stretch to win this game than the Bills did. And so, you know, Josh Allen has been a good quarterback so far this season. But what I look at, what most people probably look at is the level of competition you're playing. And so we knew the Chiefs, usually after a loss, are pretty uh, pretty sound and good, and they came out and imposed their style on the Bills. And I had talked about this before, and I'll mention it again. I don't buy the Bills as a contender to the Super Bowl. They could be a playoff team, yes. And until they win a playoff game, they will be one of those contenders. But they have to prove it and, and, and show up when it counts the most. And the last two games have been against two teams that were in the playoffs a year ago. And they have not been able to win those games. And one of the biggest reasons why they haven't been in this game is because of Josh Allen and his play. It's also because the Bills haven't been able to execute when they have a chance to. So the game yesterday was, you know, close. You had the Bills score on the early field goal. The Chiefs came back. Stephon Diggs had a nice touchdown grab in this game. Travis Kelsey had a huge game, uh, two touchdown grabs, and both were in uh, you know pivotal moments to keep them ahead in the game. And it was just more impressive overall what this Chiefs defense was able to do. I mean, they obviously blitzed Josh Allen, forced him into some throws. He missed a lot of throws yesterday that if he was able to hit those throws... The Bills might have had more scoring opportunities in this game. And so he was off the mark a little bit, struggled to get his reads going. As Steve Spagnolo just brought a different kind of coverage, different kind of blitz and pressure, trying to get Josh Allen off his mark. And you know, he wasn't accurate enough um, at times. He did make some nice plays with his legs, of course, running the ball. But 
that can only get you so far against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. So the final score was 26 to 17. And like I said before, it was back and forth early. And the Bills defense, um, for the most part, played fine. Although, if you look at the total yardage they give them in this game, um, the Chiefs had 466 yards of offense. And so they didn't score more, I mean, they could have, they could have scored more points, but give credit to their defense for at least holding them to a couple of field goals late in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, it would have been over. And the Bills defense was on the field for a long time. And I think that really impacted their ability to be fresh and to make plays against this offense. Um, because if you look at it overall, you know, Kelsey did have to touch on grass, but he didn't have like 100 yards receiving. Tyreek Hill didn't have that kind of big kind of output either. But different guys made different plays for the Chiefs. Like they have so many weapons at their disposal that anybody can beat you um, in a one-on-one matchup. And so, you gotta give them credit for being able to move the chains and keep the Bills defense on the field. I think that the fact that at times at the second half, the Bills went three and out, they couldn't sustain drives, um, that really affected their defense in a lot of ways because they had they gave up a lot of yards, they're able to hold them to field goals, but Josh Allen wasn't doing his thing. And that's the same thing that happened last year against Houston. First half was great, second half not so much. And so we've seen him play two defenses now. We've given him some trouble. And yes, they've made some plays and some things have not gone their way, but the fact is that they've lost now two straight after four in North start. Their division is not that strong, so they can probably win games, but I'm looking at how they look against the top teams, and so far they're 0-2. And Josh Allen's got to play better. I mean, he's been talked about a lot as an early MVP candidate, and you're only going to make yourself an MVP candidate or be in that conversation if you can win games that you're supposed to be good at and compete at. They had a good chance to win this game. I mean, they did get, uh, you know, a decent amount of time to practice after the Tuesday game. Maybe they just didn't have it. And then the biggest thing that is their weakness on offense is their running game. Singletary is a nice running back. And so is this guy Moss. But the Bills running game is not what it, what it should be. It's not enough for them to rely on Josh Allen all the time to make throws, to run with the ball. I mean, sure, they could do that, but it's not a recipe for success if you're playing the Chiefs. And for anything like that, if you're, if you're playing a top team who can stop you on the, you know, against the pass, then you got to be able to run the ball. And we saw the Raiders being able to run the ball the Chiefs last week. But the Chiefs defense has been able to bounce back and always be able to, you know, push back. And so the Bills didn't have much of a running game to challenge the Chiefs defense. And this is where you thought they could have made a push against Le'Veon Bell. But Bell chose to go to the Chiefs. 
you know, chose to go to the Chiefs. And I don't know. I think he didn't get to play yesterday. Maybe due to, due to the trade reasons or something like that. I forget what exactly it is. But he, I mean, he will. He'll be. He'll be a, a, a big part of that Chiefs offense once he is fully, fully there. And so it remains to be seen what happens. Obviously, with this Chiefs offense, they do have things to work on, but. They were really good on the ground yesterday. Uh, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a huge game. 26 carries for 161 yards rushing. Overall, the Chiefs had 221 yards rushing. And I think Mahomes had like you know a couple of touchdowns, under 300 yards passing, but you know he was good. He didn't. You know, have too many turnovers. I think that's the biggest thing that the Chiefs, you know, need to see from him was not to turn the ball over like he did that interception against the Raiders um, in the fourth quarter last week. So, you know, gotta give him credit for being able to uh, move the chains, run the offense through Edwards Hilaire, and, you know, it was an impressive performance by. By the Chiefs. I mean, their defense deserves credit for, uh, you know, holding the Bills to 17 points. We had known that in the previous games they were scoring at a high clip, and you know, Bills really didn't play anybody in my mind. Maybe a couple of teams that, sure, you could say, but you know, these last two games have been a pretty good indicator of what what the Chiefs, what the Bills are. And they have a lot of work to do. They want to still be one of the top teams mentioned in the AFC. They have the defense to do it. But yesterday, that defense was on the field for a long period of time. And, you know, that is not a good thing for them. They need to find a way to find a balance that works for them. Because Josh Allen is talented, yes. But a running game does prove key when it comes comes to playoff football. And I think that they need to find a way to get the ball going more on the ground. I think they really have to do that um, in a better way than they have already. Josh Allen had... 122 yards passing. It's not going to cut it. You know, he dropped back 27 times yesterday. Only 14 completions. Like I said, he didn't get the ball a lot as well. I mean, the Chiefs used a great strategy. They ran the ball. They kept the ball out of his hands. And outside, other than Diggs, you know, nobody else for the Bills really stepped up. And, you know, only four of nine on third down, which you obviously get more attempts from third down if you're on the field longer. So that didn't happen for them as well. And so I think that Josh Allen obviously has played poorly in the last two games. 
you know, the missed throws here and there. Um, not getting much in the running game in terms of scoring and time of possession. You know, you would think the Bills in this game would have the strategy of, you know, keeping the ball away from Mahomes. And the opposite happened in this game. So I think there's a lot of things to work on for the Bills. Uh, the Chiefs, you know, impressive victory. Um, and we're going to see what happens going forward with Le'Veon Bell on that team. But it was a good uh, preview of a game that we could possibly see probably in the postseason. And I think the Bills need um, Josh Allen to step up if they want to go far. And I'm not going to believe the Bills until they actually win a meaningful game in the regular season. Maybe they have. I don't remember exactly, but I think they, going forward, I want to see, you know, what they do, obviously, against some of the other teams. And until they don't win in the postseason, they are still a contender that you have to wait and see what they do. And I think that the Chiefs pretty much, you know, reminded us that they do have the team and the roster to win any kind of game. And that's going to bode well for them uh, later on in the season. So the other game wasn't much of a contest between the Cowboys and the Cardinals. I mean, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, that defense um, pretty much just took a, you know, took out Dalton. You know, Elliott had an okay game, but he did have a fumble in this game early on. And... There was not much from the wide receivers of the Cowboys as well. I mean, there were some missed catches and throws. I mean, Dalton did what he did, but, you know, he's not somebody who's going to automatically put this team in position to win. I mean, Murray pretty much played well um, most of the game. They scored, kept the ball with them, and... You know, they won 30 to 10. It's a good game for the Cardinals to get their offense even more back on track. But it's against Dallas, so obviously the challenge for the Cardinals is being consistent because we saw them lose some games that they shouldn't have lost, especially that Lions game that they lost. They shouldn't have lost that one. But, you know, they've played the Jets and the Cowboys the last two weeks. And prior to that, you know, they played the 49ers and before that. So, you know, they've won some okay games so far. Um... But, you know, they're 4-2. They're right there with, you know, Arizona. Oh, sorry, Arizona. <laughs> they're right there with the 49ers, the Seahawks, you know, the Rams. So, something to watch out for. Maybe they'll be able to make a push. But I got to see them play against somebody even better than the Cowboys. There's not much of an indicator um, with their victory. They got the win, which they should have won the game. There's no question about that. Just really want to see how they perform against uh, a team like Green Bay, maybe, or maybe the you know against Seattle. You know that's going to be something that I'm looking forward to seeing when they do play Seattle, because they have to be able to win the games on the road, um, and you know this game itself, Cowboys defense has given up almost 30 points the last couple of games. So, you know, they weren't really a good defense to start with. But, you know, give credit to Bruce Arians. I mean, 
they could have easily fell into a trap game, you know, could have not looked right, but they came out aggressive, they got out to a 21-0 lead, and pretty much they handled it from there, not letting the Cowboys um, impact the game with any big plays, here and there a couple of plays, but other than that, Cardinals defense did their job, and now they move on to the next game. So it should be good to see what happens in the NFC um, West. As uh, you know, that Seattle has been dominant so far. The Rams obviously are still in the discussion for that. The 49ers uh, may have found something in this previous game. So it should be interesting to watch what happens going forward. As most divisions are getting uh, interesting, some are just not so good like the NFC East but um, you know it's very possible that you know two or three playoff teams can come out of the NFC West it all comes down to how the matchups are the strength of schedule um, because we know this whole playoff format changed that there are going to be some games coming up that are going to have a lot of implications on the playoff picture so the Cardinals really have to be able to win the games against their NFC foes um, or else they'll be on the outside looking in when the postseason picture, uh, you know, is finalized. So now I want to talk about um, a unique individual who has been behind the NFL in terms of media marketing and management, really providing the, the experience and the efforts to make football um, grow as a brand, uh, international in our franchise business, and so I want to talk about Julie um, Haddon. Julie Haddon is a senior vice president of marketing for the NFL media, and so she's had a uh, huge impact on the game of football itself with her ability to lead and talk about a lot of things, and, and you know, commit to action, commit to uh, a plan, making sure the NFL is, you know, viewership and audience and fan base continues to grow um, in unique and great ways. Prior to the NFL, uh, Julie worked as CEO of a marketing uh, uh, marketing company, I believe Marketing Farm was called. She's pretty advising prominent brands such as the Silicon Valley on HBO, which was a great uh, show, I think. Um, you know, Apple and other other brands as well. Uh, Julie is a graduate of Indiana University. I think she started her career um, with the Dodgers before moving on to uh, you know bigger and better roles. She's been involved in um, helping companies on the startup um, you know basically transforming a company from a startup to a multi billion dollar you know valued brand such as Twitter and SoFi which you know the Rams and Chargers Stadium is you know named after that so you know she's been able to use her uh, platform her presence um, working with a lot of people in the NFL uh, she's one of the people behind uh, getting things out like the NFL Red Zone, Game Pass, those things that are the NFL Network. Um, really provide a lot of context and stories 
you know, truly, uh, truly remarkable what she has done. Um, she's, you know, has brought over than more than 20 years of experience doing this in media marketing and entertainment of the NFL. And so all the games that we do see um, and the way they are displayed and broadcasted, she has a big uh, role in that, along with many other people. And, you know, she has talked about just continuing to grow the fan base. Um, and believe it or not, you know, a lot of women have also um, watched the NFL and have become fans of it over the years. Some more than others, and it's good to see that as you know, we are seeing a, a really good push in the NFL for giving more women uh, opportunities, such as you know, for football analytics. Um, there's also you know, a couple of I think there's one female official, NFL official as well. And you know, we've seen, as mentioned before, some of the female broadcasters and sport reporters are getting more and more prominent roles on. You know, television networks, which is a really good sign to see. And so she's been able to um, really en- enjoy the growth of the NFL audience, and she continues to commit to that, um, trying to find more innovative ways to get um, people involved in the game of football, to understand it, to appreciate it. Um, and so Julie has also been able to you know, be a great leader in terms of uh, talking to her team, talking to the right people, make sure they understand their, their vision. And she's empowered a lot of people in the NFL um, and other uh, women out there to really uh, you know, take on the challenge, really get involved in, 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 in you know, marketing and uh, making sure that they, you know, are engaging with a lot of people on their ideas and so I give her credit for for just being able to provide a great uh, a level of success and impact on the NFL and there are a lot of people who are behind the NFL you know there's coaches there's GMs there's Roger Goodell the commissioner uh, front offices VP departments and so over the years she's been able to be a big part of how the NFL has been broadcasted and displayed, um, you know, through media entertainment, and so she's been able to uh, be featured and feature a lot of things. There is something that she uh, did work on, which I am going to check out, and I think a lot of people should check out. Uh, I think she made a documentary with um, four NFL. Um, female owners female owners uh, it's called I think Lifetime of Sundays and yeah I think Lifetime of Sundays and it's a great documentary that features the stories of um, you know four NFL uh, female owners who I believe it's the Lions the Steelers the Chiefs and the Bears and so they talk about their great story and what they really did to get to their positions and so you know it's great to see their stories be talked about and covered and I think this documentary is out um, already uh, for for a while now but um, Julie's had that impact of in terms of she's been able to work her way up um, really challenging herself to get involved in a lot of um, 
you know, a lot of projects and, you know, things over the years of the NFL. And so she's had a big impact uh, in terms of how the NFL is broadcasted, the highlights that we see from games. Um, she's had a big impact in that. And, you know, all with all the offers and stuff that we see on the NFL website, you know, she has a big role behind that as well. So she has continued to grow um, the NFL, making the audience um, more interested to watch. And it's all about viewership and making sure that people enjoy the game of football. So all the things that they're trying to do with the newest technology, the you know, latest angles and you know, 3D stuff and all that, it's you know really credit to her and the team um, for, for, for doing that. And I think that she continues to uh, look for new ways, new initiatives. She's also helping with a lot of the league initiatives across the NFL in terms of making sure that we continue to, to uh, push the message for you know, social um, justice and you know, in terms of voting and you know, reminding us of certain things that we have to donate for and, and be aware of. Um, that's the most important thing that she's been able to work with a lot of people to make sure that um, we're providing good education, not only with not only the best entertainment, but the best analysis, the best uh, you know uh, you know presentation of what the NFL stands for. And so with Roger Goodell, she's been able to really help him a lot in terms of make sure the NFL is viewed and shaped in a certain way. And so, I appreciate her efforts. I think she's done a great, great job throughout her, her career, working in a lot of different places um, through you know media marketing and entertainment, uh, really providing a lot of uh, good decision making and plans over the years. Uh, and she's had a big part in making the NFL the multi-billion-dollar business that it is. And I can't wait to see you know what new things will come out as we go along. Obviously, it's been 100 years in the NFL. They celebrate that accordingly, and they've tried to feature a lot of prominent players and coaches throughout the years um, through the Hall of Fame ceremony, but also through some of the um, documentaries and things that we see on, see on the NFL Network. And they have those stories and coaches and stuff. Those great things are shared. So you know, she's been great. Um, I think she's... Definitely, some of the inspiration to a lot of a lot of young women out there who are trying to uh, get into more marketing and media. And I think that she'll be very successful doing that, um, even more so in the years to come. I think that her career has been great, and she's earned her position. Um, really well over the years working in the NFL and so um, I think that we'll, we'll need to see a lot of uh, things on the NFL um, you know certain th causes and messages that they're trying to push and um, she deserves a lot of praise and recognition for that and I think that um, definitely if you want to check her out more um, her story you'll find a lot of things out there uh, about her and this documentary is something um, that people should probably watch, and I'm definitely going to watch it to understand the impact of you know these owners, these four uh, female owners, 
um, in the NFL and their great stories and how much they put in the hard work to, to, to be great at what they did. And I think that um, if we, you know, can if we all can watch that and maybe learn to appreciate and understand that, then you know it'll be really even much more better when we see you know them be talked about um, with all these league initiatives in the NFL and going forward. So um, a great story. Julie Haddon has had her impact on the NFL in a way um, that most people probably didn't know about. I didn't know about it until until recently, and so I hope people you know take away from this that you know there's a very uh, big impact that women have on the NFL as well, and we're seeing you know obviously a change in terms of providing opportunities to bringing in female assistant coaches and you know with the NFL the official and stuff like that. So you know we're seeing all these things happen. And it's a good movement. It's a good sign for the NFL. I expect to see more from Julie Haddon and the NFL um, from a media point of view and entertainment point of view. I think they're going to continue to do their best to get audiences to understand the game and like the game. And hopefully they're able to keep the messages that we're fighting for as a country uh, going forward, um, heading into the next year and years beyond. So now I want to talk a little bit about the NBA um, coaching searches as we've seen you know Doc Rivers become head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, Tyler for the Clippers. I think the Houston Rockets are still looking for a head coach. Pacers have just made their choice today by hiring I believe the name is Nate Borjikin, Borzin. Uh, he was an assistant under Nick Nurse, who coaches the Toronto Raptors. So, Pacers bring in somebody who doesn't have prior coaching experience, but has worked under Nick Nurse for a while. And so, with this young team looking to win right away, they decided to go this route. There are still some good openings out there for head coaches. Um, Mike D'Antoni is still out there. Nate McMillan, another head coach. There's one coach that I really want to talk about who I think deserves another shot um, to be a head coach and has talked about being um, back in the position to do so is Brian Shaw. Now, Brian Shaw is the head coach of a G League affiliate team and um, I think it's called uh, Infinite the team in the G League one of the, te- one of the teams in the G League and I think he obviously has coached and played in the NBA quite a bit and I think he deserves a shot um, to be in the consideration for some of these coaching jobs. Now, his resume himself um, 
you know, only he's only coached two seasons actually as a head coach in the NBA. But the team that he did coach for, um, you know, he really didn't have a whole lot of say in the roster and the players, and not, not enough time to gel and do well. So, you know, that's that. But Brian Shaw uh, is from Oakland, California. And he's one of the smartest guys um, the NBA has. He has played not for several teams, but he's mostly associated with the Los Angeles Lakers. So, Brian Shaw was drafted by the Boston Celtics in 1988 NBA draft. And despite being drafted by the Celtics at that time, there was a bit of a contract dispute that he had with the Celtics. I don't think they wanted him to play for an Italian team, which he ended up do, you know, doing, as that's what he, what he had made his mind up to do. And, you know, things kind of went back and forth, and, you know, he ended up just, you know, not working out in Boston, unfortunately. But, you know, he was someone who played a lot of basketball um, back then in that time period. And, you know, he was one of those guys who uh, even enjoyed talking about himself in terms of where he, you know, grew up playing basketball in Oakland, California, playing against guys in his neighborhood and had like in the challenge of playing guys who are tougher and stronger taller than him so he's always had uh, motivation for basketball to be able to play at a high level and so he did do that and he played for various uh, various teams but he had the most success when he played with the Los Angeles Lakers he was part of three um, NBA final championships for the Los Angeles Lakers in 2000-2002 and he had a big role um, as playing off the bench in that that run that they did have and so you know he's been around a lot of the great players and people in the NBA so he's learned a lot obviously um, throughout his years and he you know was close to Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, and people have always talked always talked about it in the NBA about his ability to talk and communicate. He was really a good guy, and he continues to be that coaching guy at the G League, um, which he's trying to teach them certain traits and abilities and characteristics that they need to have to be successful at the NBA level. And so it's good to see him being able to coach somewhere. I think he does, he deserves to be coaching. His resume speaks for himself. You know, three-time NBA champion. Uh, he was part of uh, two championships as an assistant coach for the Lakers in 09-010. And like I say, he coached the Lakers. Um, uh, he was assistant coach for the Lakers from 2005-2011. So, you know, he came to the Lakers, um, really was a big part of that team, and Phil, learned to Phil Jackson about the triangle and running offenses a certain way, 
I mean, Kobe Bryant, Paul Gasol had a lot of respect for Bryant's show and his ability to know X and O's and talk about things. And so he played from about 1988 to 2003 in the NBA, uh, you know, as, as his career. And he played for Miami, the Lakers, Philly, Portland. He also played with the U.S. national team in 1986, in which they won the gold medal, and he had a big three-pointer in that game. So over the years, Brian Shaw has adapted well. As a person, as a player, he's been able to uh, really understand a lot of things, and he had to be that way, as he mentioned um, in a really good piece and article that I read about him. He's really done a good job in terms of being able to adapt and change based on what was happening in the NBA. So, you know, he took his opportunities. You know, he worked his way up, as most people have um, throughout the NBA who have become coaches today. And his unique story is that, you know, he grew up in Oakland, California, where, you know, he was just driven to play basketball um, so well at a high level. He wanted to beat the best, and he wanted to go out there and do it in a way which was successful. He's also had a big impact in terms of promoting basketball in India, which he did go there for a camp or so, and you know, just trying to provide his education, his intelligence, um, to getting basketball noticed in India, as many uh, you know players and coaches and people have done so in the past. And so it's truly great to see um, the impact that not only he's had on India, but other. NBA initiatives that have been taking place in India, trying to get basketball courts there and encourage the game of basketball. So it's a big thing. And so Brian Shaw has expressed his desire to be a head coach, um, or possibly a GM one day. As I mentioned before, he did get a chance to be a head coach for the Denver Nuggets for a couple of years, but he went 56 and 85 um, record-wise. You know, I think if he had a couple more good players, maybe things could have been different. But, you know, he did leave the Lakers for a little bit to go to Indiana to be an associate head coach. And he was a big part of of them being able to challenge back then um, in the Eastern Conference. And so... You know, he understands the game of basketball. He has player relationships. A lot of players have talked about his ability um, to be a good coach. Kobe had even endorsed him at one point to be the head coach of the Lakers after Phil Jackson was gone. And, you know, things just kind of didn't go that way. They went in a different direction with Mike Brown. And we know what happened with Mike Brown in Los Angeles. That's all the past and everything. I think the most important thing about Brian Shaw, what makes him a really good candidate, is that he's been able to win basketball at a high level. He's been, he's been part of championship winning teams. So, you know, I think he has the ability to take a roster that has some nice pieces and really shape them in, in, in a good way. At the G League, I'm, I'm sure he's going to have success doing it um, because he is that cerebral of a, of a mind that he can. Uh, give these young players the ability to transform and, and you know make their game even much better than it already is. 
and I think his name needs to be mentioned more among some of the last few NBA vacancies that are out there. I think he would do a really good job. He's obviously learned a lot from his tenure as a head coach, um, being with the Lakers for almost, I want to say, 10 years or so, because he did come back uh, to the Lakers at some point. And, you know, he's been in the the locker room with a lot of players, and I think that he could instantly make a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder much better. I think he could get those guys to play at a high level, those young guys that they have. And who knows what they could possibly do with him at the helm. But it all comes down to him getting the opportunity, and a little bit surprising that he's not been able to get an offer or uh, a call. Now, it could be that maybe the G League is just something that he wants to focus on right now and maybe wants to visit coaching later on. But I think he uh, deserves the opportunity to at least be mentioned among, you know, the other coaches that are getting opportunities. And so we're seeing um, certain things happen with certain coaches. This is all about player relationship, all about developing these players. And Brian Shaw has worked with many of the Lakers players over the years. And I think that there's no doubt that he could do the same thing with the younger group. And I think he would have much better of a say um, in terms of a roster and shaping it his way. So he can definitely coach. Um, and I think that he'll be successful doing that if he gets the opportunity to do so. One of the things that he uh, definitely was great at, he had a thing called the Shaq and Shaw Redemption. Now, that was something that the idea came, or the phrase was coined when, you know, you know Shaquille O'Neal and Brian Shaw played together with the Lakers, and they just started all of a sudden connecting on the alley-oops, you know, the alley-oop, which, you know, you're tossing somebody the ball in mid-air for a dunk, and so, you know, they did that pretty much often, they would make eye contact, and Shaq would give them a look, and then boom, you see an alley-oop, and an alley-oop dunk, and so those two um, developed something pretty cool uh, in that, you know, 2000-2002 run, where they had uh, a nice thing going, where they would you know, connect on many passes for alley-oops and, and dunks and stuff like that. And, you know, Shaw played pretty well also uh, off the bench in that game. So, he had a great relationship with Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. And, you know, Shaquille O'Neal talks about how great he was as a person as a, um, during that time. And, you know, definitely supports him in terms of his ability to be a coach again in the NBA. I think the main thing for Brian Shaw was that, you know, he had to adapt and change over the years. As many coaches that I've talked about before, or players, you go through a journey where you start coaching, you start doing something, and then how do you stay with it? And so, you know, looking at what Brian Shaw has been able to do, being able to play basketball at an early age, at a high level, um, you know, in college and then to the pros, uh, truly uh, special in his own way. And I think he has the ability to do it. He got the ability to do it. It all comes down to 
whether or not you know some of these NBA coaches and GMs and front office people really give him a look. I think he deserves a look um, as a head coach in the NBA again, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, you know what happens. Whether he you know continues to coach in the G League, be successful or possibly to be a head coach again so that we can talk about how well he is doing and can do as an NBA coach um, when that time does come.